tall lies. lies. Well, <laughs> on that note, welcome to Notorious Women Podcast. I'm Lavetta. And I'm Miriam. And this is Notorious Women, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. That's right. Okay. Miriam, despite yes. what you think, I don't think you're a mess. I think you are lovely and wonderful. Wow, Lavetta, you're so nice to me. Thank you. That's but what I'm friends are for. I know, right? Thank you. <laughs> Lavetta, you're not a mess at all, just so you know. Like I would agree it, with that. <laughs> you 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 are so like when I'm in chaos mode, like Lavetta and I talk to each other a lot. I don't know if y'all know it, but you probably can tell. But Lavetta is just this calm, like she'll take a breath and she'll like figure it out. I, you know, I don't do that. I I don't. I don't know. It's all lies. My my facade is working. No, I'm you know what I'm like? I'm like the on the I'm like the duck. On the surface uh, it looks calm, but uh, underneath it's like it's going like a mile a minute. Okay. Okay. I told you. But you're a key duck and brain. Should we get started? Yeah, we should probably get started. Um yeah, that is the secret usual. of life. That's the secret of life to, to be pinky and the brain. I'm just saying. I mean, kind of. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Also, they're funny. So, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you ever see the episode when they broke up? Oh, yes, so I did. It was hilarious. It was like, hilarious. they can't live without each other. It's the most beautiful love story, honestly. I love it. Uh- <laughs> I introduced my kids to Animaniacs. Oh, and they you? love it too. Yeah. Aww. I was like, but now that that they they love it, but they also see it as like mom's favorite. That's like mom's oh, show. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah. yeah. And then when they get older, then they'll look back and be like, actually, that was really good. Well, honestly, it's one of those shows and they'll look back and be like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. Because it's brilliant in that way. Like totally appropriate for kids. But like there are jokes in there they're just not going to get. Right, right. But that's like the beauty of like, the adult you know uh, animation that's for adults and children you know kind of like what Pixar has like mastered oh my god you know you can watch it and then later on you watch and you're like oh I get it now when you're older but you know (laughs) yeah exactly um so I believe I am first this week and I so my notorious woman this week uh, Miriam is Merle Auburn Okay. Do you know who that is? I just feel like that's a familiar name, but I don't. Yeah. I'm going to go with you know no clue. I do. Do I? Okay. Go on. Curious. Okay. So this is going to be interesting. This is going to be good. So Merle Auburn was born Estelle Merle O'Brien Thompson on February 19, 1911. Okay. Now, most of us know her as a British actress who began her film career in British films such as Anne Boleyn in The Private Life of Henry VIII uh, from 1933, then in The Scarlet Pimpernel from 1934, um, and also, but most famously, okay, in Wuthering Heights, the 1939 oh. adaptation of Emily Bronte's a novel of the same name alongside Laurence Olivier. Shut up. I've seen it. Yes. I've seen that movie. Yes, of course you have. Because you're a nerd like me. Yeah. Nerds Nerds unite. unite. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're the same. (laughs) That's so nerdy. That's really really nerdy. 
Okay. Yeah. So most of aggressive. us know her from that. Um, and then when she, now when she came to the United States to Hollywood, uh, that is her, her major, uh, film debut was in the dark angel in 1935 for which she was nominated for an Academy award wow. for best actress, but, uh, lost out to Betty Davis. I mean, oh, well, you know, I mean, so that I, is I mean, what I, I love me some Betty Davis. I'll I just mean, say that. Come right. on. Like, I we I love Betty Davis so much I can forgive her for being in um what's that movie where she's she's playing a uh a southern woman debutante Ooh. on uh is Jezebel <laughs> she's Ooh. on a plantation mm, 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 nope. <laughs> because one mm. thing Hollywood loves yep. in the 1930s oh yeah is a story set on a plantation. I tell yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's their favorite. And like a, a white lady who is too hot. She's yes. too hot and needs so much help. And it, we are to be. feel for her. Yes. Yeah. We are it's, to. That is where yeah. our empathy shall lie. With this white woman who is overheating. <clears throat> While living in the big house on a plantation. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And all her yeah. problems. Now, the so only. So many problems. I mean, okay. <laughs> it's hard overlooking the negress in the uh, in the surrounding areas why they work <laughs> to death. Sometimes you tell them sit. what to do and they don't do it as quickly as you want them to. It's very stressful. As I sit on my porch and, and drink my sweet tea. OK, <laughs> um, it's so funny. Uh, I hate Gone with the Wind, of course, but the Fair. only the only <laughs> the only like homage to that that i like is the one from carol burnett <laughs> oh my god that classic yes. one she, oh my god the curtains. The drapes. Yes. <laughs> honestly i don't know if it's worth watching the movie for four hours but it might be just for that clip no um, i mean just watch just watch go on youtube and watch that clip of, on the carol burnett show of them reenacting <laughs> It is the fun. Yeah, it is the funniest thing. Oh my god, I love Carol Burnett. I love her for that because every time I think about Gone with the Wind, I think of that image instead of the the actual movie. Like she fixes it for you. That's excellent. Oh my god, it's great. (laughs) I remember Um, watching that movie in high school and being like, "Am I supposed to like this?" I remember being confused. Am I supposed? Who am I supposed to feel sorry for? I'm very confused. But that was, you know, me. I don't know. Yeah, it's like when you watch old Woody Allen movies or not uh-huh. so old Woody Allen movies mm, and his mm-hmm. girlfriend is 16 and you're like, yeah. hmm. am I like rooting for this relationship? I don't know that I am. Am I yeah. supposed to be? I feel like I'm not, though. You know, no, no. I'm um, not. So Merle is so that so now you know who I'm talking about. So, right. yes, right. Absolutely. Yes. So that is what most people knew about her until around like uh, the 80s. Um, okay. Now. Because she died in 1976. I have it in here somewhere. But because I'm going to tell this in like a non-traditional, non-linear way. Okay. Um, so that is Merle Auburn that, you know, for a long time, that was her legacy. Um, and, you know, we're like, oh, she's one of the classic Hollywood actresses. Yes, but that's what, what I know. Makes yeah. her, but what makes her notorious and the reason I'm covering her on this podcast, Notorious Women Podcast, don't forget to subscribe. And tell your friends about us. Back smash, to the story. As my children like to say, because they watch a lot of YouTube, smash that subscribe button. Did I do that right? Did <laughs> yes. I say that right? Yes. Okay. Yes. I practiced. Yeah. Smash it, you guys. Smash okay. it. I'm old. Um, okay. 
Now, what makes her, uh, again, what makes her notorious is this, it's her backstory. Okay. So when she arrived in Hollywood in the 30s, the story that was told uh, was that she was born in Tasmania, Australia, to oh. author Terence O'Brien Thompson, a British mechanical engineer from Darlington, and his wife, Charlotte Selby, uh, a Eurasian woman. Okay. But that her records had been destroyed in a fire. Mm. So 1930s America, we're like, well, oh, well, she's obviously British lady. Okay, that's, I don't know where, like, Ceylon is. I don't know. Okay, Australia. Oh, okay, that, there's, there's white people in Australia. Okay, yeah. Okay. She doesn't make me feel uncomfortable at all. At yeah. all. At all. That's fine. But after go, her go death, on. after yeah. her death, the real story behind her, her identity and her real life um, came to light. And okay. now just keep in mind, in context, everybody lied about their background in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. A hundred thousand percent. It was the job, actually, of the the studios. They have a whole PR, you know, uh, department to change your name, you know, to, you know, move your hairline back, to color your hair, whatever they need to do in order to make you into, let's say, uh, they need hunks. They need uh, the fiery uh, heroine. They need, you know... They need a, a Betty Davis. They need a, you know, Joan Crawford. They need whatever they need for their particular studio. Because this is when the studio system was in full effect. And you signed a contract with the studio and they paid you weekly. Yes. Um, and so, um, so everybody lied about their background, right? That was expected. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So the fact that when Merle's actual background came to light, it was shocking not really shocking to us in the modern day, but back then you can understand why she uh, why she hid a lot of the stuff that she hid. OK, so according to a documentary from 2014 called The Trouble with Merle, Merle was later found. It was later found out that so the woman that traveled with her mostly okay. uh, was a darker skinned woman uh, that she had a darker skinned woman that was her maid. That woman oh, turned yeah. out to actually be Charlotte. Her mother. I knew it. Well, right? I knew it four seconds before you said it, but five seconds I didn't know it, but four seconds yes. I did. Wow. Okay. Was her mother, her and her mother was of Indian, East Indian descent. Oh. Um, I mean, East Asia, Indian descent, right? Okay. So, but later on, another secret would come out. Okay. Charlotte was not Merle's mother. What? Okay. Charlotte was Merle's grandmother. Oh, hey. Wow. And Charlotte was actually raised alongside her mother as her sister. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, but let's 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 just tackle this these separately. Okay. Okay. So okay, the background is, yes. So the background is basically um in the 80s actually her uh the nephew of her first husband did some research and he found actually, no, I'm sorry, back up. So actually in the eighties, one of her distant relatives went and did some research on her and found her birth certificate that she was born in Mumbai, India. Oh, wow. 
Okay. And she, so again, the woman that she said was her mother, Charlotte, she traveled with Charlotte. Everyone had met Charlotte. No one really had met Constance because Constance had been sent um, estranged from both her mother and her, her daughter, basically. Wait, um, Constance is who? The grandmother? Wait, no. no. Charlotte the- is the grandmother purporting to be the mother. Right. Constance is her real mother. Got it. Okay. Okay. Now, according I need, to... I, I, need, I need like lines and graphs here, but I can I do know, this. I know. But the reason, one of the reasons they hid it, uh, for several reasons, but they hid... So Charlotte hid the fact that Merle was Constance's daughter is because Constance gave birth to Merle when she was only 12 years old. Oh, God. Ugh. Which was a result Oof. of rape. Oh, my God. Which she, Charlotte, had also been raped. And the and Constance was the result of that rape. Motherfucker. I'll say it. Jesus. Stop raping people. Yeah. My God. Ugh, children. Oh, my God. Yeah. Charlotte Ooh. had given birth to uh, Constance because she was raped at the age of 14 God. by an Anglo-Irish foreman on a tea plantation. You know, yeah, you know, stop invading countries. It's bad. Cool. I mean, this is the result of uh, colonization of India, yeah. right? Yeah. So at the time, uh, again, further context, Merle would be considered Anglo-Indian. Now, Anglo-Indians are basically the offsprings of uh, British men, either um, uh, exploiting relationships with the local Indian and Sri Lankan women. Uh, or outright rape. Yeah. And so back, unlike today, and it's still hard for biracial people in a lot of ways, depending on where they live, but especially back then in the yeah. teens, right? So colonization is at its height in India uh, and in the East in general. And so sometimes if the girls, if the Indian girls were lucky, they were able to enter into a relationship that at least they were able to benefit somewhat financially from or to have that their children could benefit from. Um, But again, if they were raped, then oftentimes that was not a choice that they were given. And then on top of it, the offsprings were not considered really Indian. So they couldn't advance in Indian society. And then of course they can't, I mean, they're not white. So <laughs> the British are like, but you're not white. Um, oh, my and, God. Stop raping women now. And I keep saying this. Not, well, yeah. no listening. And to make to make matters even more complicated, Charlotte, who's the grandmother, is darker skin. So she's obviously she can't pass. OK, it doesn't say I couldn't find out. Constance probably is lighter, too. But Merle Merle was very light. Okay. Okay. But even so, the backstory that um, we hear is that so remember, I told you all about like she was in Anne Boleyn and Private Life of Henry VIII and that, right. and, and that backstory, and she was born in Tasmania. That was crafted uh, mm. mainly by her first husband, Alexander Corda. Okay. who was the uh, producer and of the Anne Boleyn. He basically discovered her in England. Okay. And so when she came to the States, again, everybody has a backstory. They make it up. People do oh, it today yeah. even. So, oh, that's true. Um, but that was to, and so they kind of used Tasmania because Americans didn't travel. Well, I mean, kind of like today. They didn't know, I mean, but they knew Australia. They knew that white people were in Australia. And that could exclude a little bit of like the exoticness that they could kind of detect in her. <laughs> 
She's white, but she's you know? Tasmanian white. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So Alex <laughs> sorry. and People are Merle. Stupid. All right. Well, Go they on. needed a story. So Alex or- and Merle, they basically passed Merle off when she came to Hollywood as an upper class girl from Hobart who had moved to India after her father died in a hunting accident. Oh, that sounds very white. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. The whole hunting. That's like, that's like blindingly white. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. It's like translucent white. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And uh, and I and, and and correction here. So they found her. So her her nephew found her records in. Um, well, he it turns out he wasn't her nephew. He was he was anyway. It turned out that he <laughs> um, that he found her records. Her he tracked down her birth certificate in a Bombay, uh, British India uh, records department. Okay. Um, so he thought he thought he was her nephew, but it turns out he was just her half brother. Okay. Because then he also, that's when he found out about the Charlotte and Constance switch as well. So a lot of stuff. Now I'm not, it's not really, I'm not really sure if, if Merle was aware that her mother was a grandmother, I can't quite figure out if she was aware of that. Okay. That's, Um, that was my question that they ever tell her who her mother was and what happened. I mean, no. it could be she found out because her half brother, nephew, you know, uh, actually tried to reach out to her later in life in Hollywood and she refused to see him. And um, partly because maybe she was afraid that uh, she'd be outed um, as half Indian or or not. But it's it's kind of uns- I'm kind of unsure, unclear about that. But what is clear is that she knew that she was not white. Yeah. Okay? I mean, the woman yeah. raising her was darker and she was in India. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Now, with her background fully obscured, though, but because she was able to obscure it pretty, you know, for the most part, pretty successfully, she was able to enter into Hollywood and be considered a leading lady because only white women could be considered as leading ladies. What? And it and that's yeah. And that's why she so technically she's the first Asian woman an Indian woman to be oh. nominated for an Oscar, but eh, it's complicated. I was going right? to say, does that, does that count? How does that work? What do you I think? know. I mean, we would count it, but it's, it's misleading is what I'm going to just say. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing though. I don't know. Like we live in a fucked up world and she comes from a fucked up situation. If exactly. she's girl, get your money, get your, do your thing, do it. I'm not here to stop you. You know, yeah. I don't know. Now, also, so the so I'm going to, uh, so, okay, so I'm just going to go through the Hollywood kind of thing, just kind of talk about that, and then I'll go back to, like, the real, real thing. So it's kind of like the we're playing drama. what we think is the, dra- the, the drama, and then I go into the melodrama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when, so when she arrived in Hollywood, uh, she signed with uh, uh, Samuel Goldwyn's company, and again, it's all about getting that studio contract because he needed a, a star. He needed a star like Betty Davis. And she was so, like, I'm here. And he was like, yeah. Okay, and, she, good. you know, she had been in Anne Boleyn. She had played Anne Boleyn. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and she uh, and, and Corda was well respected in British um, in B- British um, um, entertainment industry. So, you know, they're thinking she's going to be another Vivian Lee. She's going to be, you know, um, the Brits are coming over. Right. So, yeah. yeah. But there was something, again, that even on screen, you couldn't really see in person, but they said on screen because it, it 
highlights everything you could kind of tell and even in um even in the uh oh god what's that famous one even in the scarlet pimpernel oh yeah she occasionally her accent would slip and they even reporters even in hollywood would kind of acknowledge that there was something orientalism about her because <laughs> Orientals were people back then, not rugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Orientals are rugs people. They're not people. They're rugs. It's Asian people. It's Asian yeah. people uh, from Asia. Um, mm. So, <laughs> so many they PSAs, would, so little time. Go on. Oh, my God. Um, and so she, so they worked really hard to work on her accent. Um, she also, since a young age, had been using skin lightening creams, bleaching oh. cream. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Which were very prevalent back in India and continue Ugh. to be very prevalent, unfortunately, today. That's so sad. Um, now, she, but, you know, again, she's in Hollywood. She's, she's working. It all seems to be going well. But then in 1937, she was in a car accident and her face was scarred. Oh, oh, really? So, yeah. So her future, so cinematographer and her future husband, a man by the name of Lucien Ballard, famously developed a technique that lit her in a way that would obscure her blemishes. Oh. He created a light, basically, that would like highlight the light in the actor's eyes. And the light was called the Obi. Do we have him to thank for the ring light? Is that like probably? OG and I forget light? what the thank Obi. You. Yeah, the Obi also is, uh, I forget what they call it now. I think it's like the. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not a tech tech person, but yes, that <laughs> okay. the idea of the ring light it it stems from this idea, and it was called the Obi after her. Oh my god, the yeah. Obi, the Obi. Oh, because okay, her last Oberon, you know. Yeah, so got it, got now, it. I'm with you now. Go on. Some sources say that the technique was also a way to further whiten her face before the camera. Mm. You know. Because she was always, even though the, the lie was, you know, being concealed and it was seemingly working because she was working in Hollywood, she was always fear and feared that it would come out. Um, so did you see that movie Passing? I did not see it. Okay, you should see it. It's based on um, Nella Larson, an American um, novelist. She wrote it, I think it's in the 20s. It's And it's. You know, black people are very familiar with the, the idea of passing. Um, and it's a tragic thing that people used to have to do that. But oftentimes people who pass, they have to cut off all contact from their community, yeah. but also their family. There is, an, there is a brilliant novel I just read. And I can't remember the name of it. Um, oh, I will find the name. Maybe I'll put it. We'll put it in show notes. It's so good. And it is about. I'll just, it's about twin sisters, one of whom can pass and one of whom can't. Mm. And, you know, hilarity ensues there. It's, and it's also really interesting. What I like is that it, it kind of like opens the door to the world of Los Angeles. Everyone thinks of LA and California as being very, very liberal and very, very open. No, y'all like we didn't, we didn't let black people on beaches, like not that long ago. Santa Monica was not, you couldn't go on the beach. So like, I just like, it, it's very enlightening to think like I, like I family from here. I was like, what was it like? Do you even remember? You know, it's fascinating. Anyways, yeah. that was a tangent. I don't even know the name of this really good book. 
I don't, but I read it. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you with it. Yeah, maybe you can come back on IG and tell people about it. I will. Um, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, everything's going well. And in 1942, her husband, so she's still married to um, Alex at this time, he was knighted for his contributions to the war effort in England. Ho, so ho, she ho. became lady. I don't know. That's, that's my British response to being knighted. Ho, ho, ho. That, that, that feels more French. Okay. Yeah. I'll go. I'll stop talking. Cool, cool. She became Lady Corda. Now, imagine yes. that. An Indian <laughs> awesome. woman, a mixed-race Indian woman becoming a lady in British society. Yes! I mean, she had to dupe them, but still, I will take it. Yeah. Um, in uh, 1949, um, so by 1949, I mean, in 1945, she and Corda divorced, and she married uh, Lucian, the one who okay. created the light. Uh, now, by all accounts... Corda was not happy about this. He really wanted to keep his marriage together, even though it was purported that Merle was out here uh, spreading her love around. Let's let's mm. let's put it uh, nicely. Uh, <laughs> she was out here getting her freak on, uh, and it he didn't seem to mind that as much. And she wasn't the only one, by the way. Back in old Hollywood, everybody's fucking everybody. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what they were doing. But what's the podcast where you must remember this? Yes. Damn. Which is, yes. <laughs> you must remember this is a phenomenal podcast. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And some it's one of my sources from today, as oh, well yeah? as Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. So it's yeah, it, everybody was fucking everybody. So, but he Corda still wanted to keep his marriage together. But um, you know, in not only just in her heart and in her bed, uh, mm. <laughs> Merle had moved on, and so she married uh, Lucian. But that would only last for a couple years. They would divorce. She would divorce Lucian in 1949. Oh wow, that was quick. Yeah. Now in 1957, she married an Italian-born industrialist. So this is a rich guy named Bruno. Pag uh, Paglia? Paglia. 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 It's Paglia. Bruno Paglia. Um, and they adopted two children. Now, at oh. first, she never, she was always shy of, of having children for fear that the children would come out dark and give yeah. away. And that's another thing that people who are passing have to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, but she had, you know, decided, okay, because uh, Paglia was... Obviously, you know, he's Italian. Italians didn't become white people until I always no, joke make that yet. joke, but yep. uh, not yet. But and also he was actually born in Italy, so he had an accent, but he was like successful in life and proud. So she thought, okay, you know. Uh, but when she tried to start conceiving, she found out that she had been given an hysterectomy against her <gasps> will. Like she didn't even know it. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, for when? a procedure earlier, she had gone in for um, another procedure, and they just took her uterus. Wait uh, a minute, how old was she? She's very young. Um, where I, I was think she? They used to, I think they could. I think they used to do that before with women. I mean, with women of color, that's there's a huge awful history of that with women of color but i think in in with women that were deemed white as well i think that that was really? something that they just used to do to women um it in my research it says that it, it happened it probably happened uh in uh when she was still in england um 
But yeah, she she was like, what? Uh, so that goes out the window. Uh, I, I don't understand. Like, why? What What was the who directed it? Does that make sense? We like, forget that men, we've only had female gynecologists probably in the last, what, 40 years? Like, it used to be the majority old men who decided what a woman did with her body. Mm, no yeah. matter what. Damn, I'm getting angry right yeah. now. It's building up inside of me. Damn. Yeah, yeah men, stop it. You know? Just terrible. I like now you could sue the shit out of that doctor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in 1973, she met, then married a 36 year old Dutch actor by the name of Robert Walters while they were filming a, a, a film called Interval. Okay. Um, she, so, so she, no, she, she met him in 1973 and they got married in 75, but oh, he okay. was 25 years her junior. Okay, girl, you get it. Mm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. You're yeah. a queen. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout her life, and, and again, they say, you know, especially on, you must remember this, they had a special episode about this and the historian was saying that, you know, later in her life, she kind of let the facade of her race kind of slip a little bit, but she didn't completely come clean like she would start Mm. tanning like she would never tan before um and again it was probably her experience with being married to uh pagliai and you know and then tanning became a thing in the 70s also so it's like she kind of you know she kind of like loosened up and in the 60s of the free love so she kind of loosened up a little bit but she never really came clean um, and then she would waffle back and forth between coming clean, kind of admitting something that maybe she lied about her background, but not really coming out and saying it plainly. You know, I will say this about that. Like, I feel like she might even if she felt like what she had done was was, I don't know, wrong, but um, something she's no longer comfortable with because that's not who she is. And, you know, there, a lot had happened between the 1930s and the 1970s in terms of social acceptance. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure in her head, she thinks it's just too late. That ship has sailed. Um, it could be that. It's also, you know, internalization of mm-hmm. bigotry, that self-hate, uh, which I'm going to get into in a little bit. Um, yeah. So... And But the waffing back and forth is just human. Uh, again, she seemed a little bit more comfortable. You know, we can look back in retrospect. But again, uh, Corda's nephew, he wrote a book. Um, okay. And, and he, like I said, he, along with her actual uh, blood relatives, reached out to her, but she didn't have any, want to have anything to do with them. But he, when he started doing his research, and also, again, he kind of knew, they kind of knew that her background was a little hazy or what have you but yeah. after his research he was going to publish a family memoir called Charmed Lives uh, in 1979 and he was going to include her real birthplace but she threatened to sue him wow okay all right you know so he took <laughs> it out he took it out because he's just like okay I, I respect her but I don't I don't think she has anything to be ashamed of but he took it out um so for the rest of her life, she, until she dies, she died in 1979 at the age of 68 from a stroke. Oh. Um, and she basically took the complete history of her background to her grave. And she's buried at, she's interred at 
Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale. Like I knew you were going to say that. That's where all the famous yeah, people are buried. That's where all the famous people. Now, now let's get into the real story. Yeah, nitty gritty, right? So we kind of yeah. we're kind of like, oh, what I basically told you is kind of what people kind of were whispering about because again, there were always whispers about her identity and she would always be trying to fight them. And and then later in life, she became a little bit more comfortable, but you know, so in, in 1983, again, um, an Anglo Indian of her Anglo Indian heritage, it was revealed in a biography by Charles Higgum called princess Merle, the romantic life of Merle Auburn. Now they found again, her birth certificate in Bombay and her baptismal certificate they also found letters and photographs of her Indian relatives. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So again, she was born into a society where the offspring of uh, the offsprings of English colonizers taking advantage of local Indian girls, either through exploitative sexual relationships or straight out rape. Um, so she was born into a very difficult circumstance and it's in his research is reported that again, Constance is the mother. Charlotte is the grandmother pretending to be the mother. Right. But when Constance was raped and was forced to have, and, and had, Con- and I mean, when Charlotte was raped and had Constance, she kind of resented Constance, her daughter, which would happen, which happens unfortunately a lot when a woman's raped. Yeah. I, I, I don't have, I, I cannot speak to that. You know what I mean? That's, that's a massively traumatic yeah, that's horrifying. And she's only 14 when she's she, raped. So li- they're both children, children. So she she basically was a not she was not a very good mother to Constance, which is led to their eventual being estranged. Uh, yeah. So when Constance was raped and had Merle, she oftentimes that's what happens. She becomes a better grandmother than she was mm-hmm. a mother. Yep. Yeah. And she started to actually pour all of that love into to Merle instead of Constance, which could have led to some jealousy as well. Oh, yeah. Hunter, she's still a kid. Like, yeah, she's I still mean- a kid. Like, yeah. Um, so so Constance leaves eventually. So she moves off and it just becomes Merle and Charlotte okay. living together. And they lived an impoverished life in the shabby flats in Mumbai for many years, for a few years. Um, and. But in 1917, they moved to a better circumstance in Calcutta, present day Calcutta. Okay. Um, Merle received a, a scholarship, a foundation scholarship to achieve, uh, to attend a school, a local school for girls. It's a private school. It's the best Ooh, private school in Calcutta. Great. Um, but while she was there, she was constantly taunted for her mixed race ethnicity, uh, leading her to quit school. So she was bullied out of school. Ugh, that's awful. People are and awful. She, yeah, she was just homeschooled. Now, she also first performed um, in the Calcutta Amateur Dramatic Society. Okay. Um, she became completely enamored with films. And around this time, she was just sort of interested in the the high life. Um, <laughs> and she started going to nightclubs. And she also started taking on a posh British accent. Okay. How old is this child? Is she like a teenager? This is her teen She's like years? a teenager. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that feels right. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I too had a posh British accent when exactly. I was a teenager. You're fine really, yourself. Yeah. I think You're hers was probably yourself. better than mine, but that's besides the point. Okay. Yeah. Well, India was colonized by it's British, true. but, mm-hmm. um, so 
this is also where the skin bleaching cream comes in. I, I suspect um, it was probably always around her because it was re- it was used everywhere in the area. Ugh. Everywhere. Yeah. I, I mean, I get um, it. It's just awful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't knock anybody because I because societal pressure is massive, but stupid that it is and, massive. Well, and also this is also why she internalized. She basically said, uh, according to some researchers, that she internalized at this time that her dark skin was a curse. Mm, yeah. Dooming her and her mother, her grandmother to a life of poverty. Because that would seem true in this area. Yeah. In, in this time period. Yeah. Uh, during this time, you know, she worked at nightclubs. She also worked as a phone, um, a telephone operator, according to Indian journalist Sunanda K. Dadare. Um, she and she worked under the name of Queenie Thompson at this time. Oh, OK. Yeah. And now she would, you know, enter clubs, different contests and stuff because she's looking for a better life, maybe to get into mod- the equivalent of this today would be getting into modeling and acting, basically. Right. Because, you know, it's. It's not going to come through. She's also living in a town where people know kind of her back. They know her background. Right. Right. Yeah. So she got into um, different contests and uh, she was going out for film careers. And, you know, she uh, also dating. Uh, in 1929, she met former actor Colonel Ben Finney. Okay. Uh, and, she, and they dated for a while. Uh, and he seemed to like her. But when he saw Charlotte one night at Murrow's flat, he realized that Merle was mixed race. Oh, so she did the relationship. What a fucker. Motherfucker. Again, she's cursed. Yeah. Because of her skin color. Yeah. Um, however, he's not a complete douchebag. He did promise to introduce her to Rex Ingram of Victor of Victorin Studios. If okay. uh, if she were prepared to, to travel to France to she's meet like, with some She's like, my bags are packed right now. Literally. Literal. That's exactly what happened. Her and Charlotte were like, we out, bitches. Okay. Deuces. So they went to France. (laughs) But when they got there, of course, Ben being a a douchebag for breaking up with her because she's mixed race, he avoided her. Oh, wow. uh, But he did leave word with Ingram at the studio. You know what? He can go fuck himself. That's fine. Bye. I mean, it's fine. Sometimes people are just in your life for a season, which he, right, he was. Exactly. So yeah. she went. So they went to meet Ingram and Ingram liked her exotic appearance. And he quickly hired her uh, in a film called The Three Passions. And it's just as an extra as a party scene. But, you know, she's okay. thinking, OK, I'm in the thick of it um, in 19. So she was about 17 or 18. Okay. Um, in that soon after that, she went to England. They moved on to England. Okay. Um, where she worked as a club hostess under the name Queenie O'Brien. So before it was Queenie Thompson. <laughs> I was Irish. I and know, right? now I'm, what do you want me to be? And it's so funny because only a person who's like an immigrant to a new, new country is like, no, you, sh- you should have kept Thompson. Yeah. Like O'Brien's not going to oh, do you no favorites no. in They're, England. They are not going to like you for now other reasons. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she played, you know, many roles, uh, small roles and extra roles. Um, and she uh, she quote it, she's quoted as saying, I couldn't dance or sing or write or paint. The only possible opening seemed to be in some line in which I could use my face. This was, in fact, no better than a human than a hundred other faces. But it did possess a fortunately photogenic quality. Okay. This is what she told Film Weekly in 1939. 
So um, now, according to some uh, biographers, again, allegedly, please don't sue us. Don't sue us. Merle also worked as uh, she was involved in sex work to make ends meet. It's not Uh, uncommon for women. I know people are like, eh, but like, listen, the world has not given women a whole lot of choices. They just have a lot of options. Exactly. You know, and sometimes women need to make a lot of money. Yep. And you you fuck up our education opportunities. You you fuck up our 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 brains into thinking we can't do things. And yeah, okay, sometimes we need that money, and we're going to do what we got to do. Well, and also she's taking care of Charlotte, so right. she has to take care of both of them. Uh, now, this was also there was always rumors about this, and in A. Scott Berger's biography of Samuel Goldwyn, he alleged that a night with Merle cost a couple hundred dollars, or around three thousand in today's dollars. I mean, yes make that money. If you I want mean, this, it's going to cost you. I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah. Listen, your body, your choice, y'all. <laughs> that yeah. goes for all things. So within that context, again, she's internalized her dark skin. She's using bleaching cream, which seems to be working. Since she started using this bleaching cream and, and going out, it seems to be working. So when she arrives in uh, London and she's working, she's spotted one night by uh, Alex Corda, her first husband, and right. his, his soon-to-be ex-wife. Uh, they were actually <laughs> out um, They were out uh, scouting for uh, his new uh, film. And so they scouted oh. Merle for the, to play Anne Boleyn in that okay. 1933 movie. And that... That started everything. Um, she was 22 at the time. And like, again, so all that stuff I told you at the beginning, that's how all of that started. But before she started out in Bombay, you know, in the right. slums, basically. Wow. Then doing the best she can, then going to France and working and, you know, in clubs and, you know, hostesses, maybe doing some, some sex work there, then going to England, doing the same thing, and then actually getting scouted and getting her first lead, major lead so, in this huge film. I never walked into the correct bar is what I'm hearing. Like, yeah, that's, I think so. I just, I would go to bars and restaurants, but not the right ones. It seems, but it came at a huge cost because yeah, no, yeah, she was living a major lie. And I think I can't stress enough how if people had found out that she was not white, they may have physically attacked her. Yeah, it wasn't it. You wouldn't have the risk really wasn't just losing your career. That that was almost a given. The risk she could be yeah we have. We have anti-miscegenation laws on the books. And in Hollywood, Hollywood had the Hayes Codes also, which codified that certain ethnicities couldn't play certain things. So an Indian person could not play Indian roles. They would put white people in those roles in brown face. And they also had rules that non-white people couldn't be on screen kissing white people. (laughs) Sorry. That was in the code. I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. I just think that this this is a shit world. Um, So it's really, you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't really pass judgment on her in terms of the choices she made because I don't see a way out of the choices that she made. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she, and I think that's why we have to give her um, some grace in this moment. Uh, You know, a lot of historians have said that, you know, you know, quote, it was, it's, 
uh, uh, hold on. It said, da, 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 mem- uh, da, 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 da. quote, navigating an industry that wasn't designed to accommodate her and producing such moving work while while fighting those battles. A lot of uh, historians have uh, said that. And that's actually what um, they said in the documentary from 2014. You know, they want you to look on this. It's exciting and it's scandalous in a lot of ways, but it's also like she was a human being doing the best she could with the circumstances, right? Yeah. As an actor, that's what you're taught. You play a human mm-hmm. being in a given circumstance, right? In that circumstance. And that's what she was doing. She was dealing the cart she was dealt. Unfortunately, I think she she probably also internalized the self-hate. Yeah. Yeah. But think about um, how many years she had to hide. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I'm not a psychiatrist or any of that, but like probably that fucks with your psyche. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, no one it's, said the dark side of you is beautiful. Like not one. Right. All she was told was that side of you is shameful. Yeah. Like that's going to get into your soul at some point. Um, and and, and that's, I, sorry. Well, I'm on. sorry. I'm sad about her because she, they kind of won. The colonizers won when they convince mm, yeah. you that they're right, yeah, that you are less than. Fuck and them. that is the thing that, um, breaks my heart for her but she isn't a you know a hollywood icon for her contributions to the motion pictures she has a star on the hollywood walk of fame at 6274 hollywood boulevard um and michael corda alex's uh nephew wrote a french novel about her death called queenie that was actually adapted into a television miniseries starring uh mia sara who is actually an italian-american actress uh and f scott Fitzgerald's unfinished novel, The Last Tycoon, was made into a television series with Jennifer Beals playing uh, a character called Margot Taft. uh, And many people feel like that's based on Merle Auburn's character. Interesting. I mean, the only like the positive I can take is that we know now, you know, and then we can talk about it and we can understand the history a little better. And I like to think we duped a lot of white people and that makes me happy. Yeah, I, I no, I totally get it. I I love that because you know you know there's a, a people have been uh, passing for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's room. There's there's a, a rumor that uh, what's the president? Uh, I think it's Garfield. That Garfield is actually a black man. Yes. Um, <laughs> really, so I didn't know that. But I'm all it. for. You know I'm all mean? for like, duping the white people. I just I just wish we could do it and still like know that they're wrong like i just yeah part of me feels i i i hope that you know wherever she is if you believe in afterlife that she can finally be proud of who she is because you know god the spirits whomever the universe made you and you're not wrong you were made so yeah. you're not wrong you're like, not wrong you're not and your like- existence is not wrong I, you know? I really think this is a story about like what happens when you, you are shamed that, you know, like, and you know, like, and I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not really like, I'm not really going to fault her for how she reacted. It's right. just sad. It's just really, really sad. Is said and and um so that's Merle Auburn and my sources today were again um uh, you must remember this podcast uh, with uh, Karina Longworth you guys should definitely check that out it's, it's a so fabulous good. podcast so much drama uh, Wikipedia uh, and also an, an article uh, a couple articles 
there's so many out there now, thank God, yeah. that we I can be, get her story see, out there. There's the positive. There's like the the gold at the end of the rainbow or the rainbow at the end of the storm. I don't know how these things work, but you know what I'm saying. It's out there now. So now we know. It's out there meta- now. I'll get my metaphor straight eventually. Yeah. And there's also a BBC article um, by uh, a gentleman by the name of, uh, actually, uh, a, maybe a woman by the name of Meryl Sebastian. Oh, okay. Um, you know, there's a tons of articles out there. You can just research this, but I feel like we, I'm glad that she still has gotten her due in Hollywood because she did contribute to Hollywood, um, and to British cinema. Um, I just wish she could do it on her own terms is all I can because say, but that is my that, notorious yeah. woman. I, I love Auburn. that. That is amazing. I, wow. And, yeah. and here, like, let's like, look at that and let's like, think about how many amazing people we missed out on. Yep. Okay. Cause that's, that's what, that's what I just heard. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Lavetta. She's amazing. Um, who's your notorious woman this so week? we're gonna we're gonna switch gears here are you ready i'm ready Levetta, are you ready to murder some nazis mm. always I always yeah mm-hmm. yes. i thought you would be with me on this one da 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 nazis die because <laughs> it's like i'm good with the murdering of nazis right like that's fine nazis I mean, are bad um, so I got my information to start with uh, with history.com and Wikipedia. They're different phrasings of things. But my notorious woman today is a woman named Freddie Overstegen. Have you ever heard of her? No. So I haven't either. I just discovered her and I love her so much. Okay. She was born on September 6th in 1925 in the village of Schotten, Netherlands. So her family lived on a barge. So they lived like on the water. Um, And it said, there's like one line that said before the war, her family had harbored people from Lithuania in the hold of their ship and hidden. I I don't exactly know why was happening, but that they did that. Uh, Her parents divorced and she was raised by her mother. And after the divorce, they moved to a small apartment and lived in poverty. Um, so her mother considered herself a communist and taught her daughters the importance of fighting injustice, which is like side note, communism. It just means like, it doesn't mean like what Russia did. Cause that's not even communism. No. Right. That's exactly. totalitarianism. Yeah. Um, communism theoretically is we all work together. Like, yeah. Like Especially I joke at this with, time. Yeah. Right. Like we all work together for the, greater good of the whole. That's the idea, right? So if you decide that a few groups of people should be murdered, a communist would be like, nope, that's a bad idea. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) just your quick hit information here. So when uh, Europe was on the brink of war in 1939, she took Jewish refugees into their home. So Freddie had an old, has an older sister, her okay the spelling of her sister's name is t r u u s truce i'm going to call her truce until truce. someone writes in and tells me that i'm wrong <laughs> but i think it's truce um and the girls began handing out anti-nazi pam- pamphlets with their mom 
And this attracted the notice, that's how they phrased it, I liked it, of Harlem Council of Resistance Commander Franz van der Veel. Van der Veel. Van der Veel. I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, so by the way, they lived in Harlem. This is the OG Harlem. H-A-A-R-L-E-M. Not in the United States, Harlem. Right. Which, which I think they took the word from. Yeah, they did. Um, they did. Because you remember the Dutch in New York City? I mean, I, exactly. I can't go into detail, but essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag not historians. Okay. So they also, there's a quote um, from an interview she did later. We also glued warnings across German posters in the street calling men to work in Germany. Um, and then we'd hurried off on our bikes. So these acts were, just to be clear, like they're not Jewish, but it's still ju- not just as dangerous. It's much more dangerous to be Jewish at this time. But if they were caught, they could easily be killed. Like yes. they would have no qualms murdering these children. They're sympathizers. Uh, they're sympathizers. And they were murdering a whole lot of children at that time. So, uh, yeah, how do we feel? It's bad. Um, Nazis are bad. Nazis I'm just going to are- yeah. keep saying that. <laughs> Nazis like, are bad people. Not German people. Nazis. No. German people are great and not Nazis. It's the Nazis. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so both girls looked very young, and Freddie especially, because she was 14 when she started this. Um, when she would wear braids, she would look even younger. So they, they were less likely to be suspected. Um, so in 1941, that commander visited their house to see, to ask their mother if he could recruit them for the resistance group because they were already doing stuff. So wow. their mother gave permission and they joined the Council of Resistance, uh, which brought them into a more coordinated effort. Oh, and this, okay. So she was 14 at this time, which means she was like 11, 12 riding on her bike. Wow. Handing out pamphlets. So after they agreed, that's when they found out what they were there to do, which was sabotage bridges and railway lines and learn to shoot. Oh, (laughs) okay. mm -hmm, They learned to shoot Nazis, girl. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. (laughs) At 14, 15? At 14. And there's an interview from her sister later saying, she says, I remember my sister saying, well, that's something I've never done before. <laughs> They're like, oh my okay. Lord. So a couple of years after this, she became one of its armed assassins. Oh, yeah. So a uh, Wikipedia, no, history.com says in at least one instance, Truth seduced an SS officer into the woods so that someone from the resistance could shoot him. Wikipedia tells me that they did that on the regular, that they would go to bars like seduce a soldier, like wink, like be like, hey boy, mm, I love a man in uniform, you know, and he'd follow her out there and then he would be murdered. I like it. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Bish the Honey pot. Honey pot. Yep. Mm-hmm. She, knew, she knew what to do. So Freddie was the first of the girls to kill a soldier by shooting him while riding her bicycle. Damn. She was, mm-hmm. Oh, so she was in the, the OG uh, ride, uh, drive-by. Okay. Uh-huh. okay. Uh-huh. On a mm-hmm. bicycle. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a positive version of that. <laughs> wow. They began to go on assassination missions by themselves. And then they focused on killing Dutch collaborators who arrested or endangered Jewish refugees or resistance members. Like, 
They were like, fuck off. They were like, stop this shit. I love her. But um, they were about that life. They weren't just saying yeah. it. They were like, no. Yeah, we're going to have to kill some motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is what we're doing. Okay. They were like, okay. Um, there's a quote from um, Bas van Benda Beckham, who, who is a former researcher at the Netherlands Institute for War, Holocaust and Genocide Studies, that she says, they were unusual, these girls. Quote her. There were a lot of women involved in the resistance of the Netherlands, but not so much in the way these girls were. There are not that many examples of women who actually shot collaborators themselves. So Freddie was especially good at following a target or keeping a lookout during missions because she she looked so very young. They never both sisters never revealed how many Nazis and Dutch collaborators they assassinated. Um, So. They, according to one interview, she would say that she and her sister were soldiers, and soldiers don't say, "Yeah." Gotcha. She called. They called them liquidations. Damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there a movie made about this. I, I mean, mean, right? How do we not have this movie? I would watch this movie. I would produce this movie. Uh, yes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And when I was fourteen, I would want to play her, but I I'm Jewish, so I probably wouldn't. Um, but you know. I could, right? Yeah, you absolutely could. Thank you. I'm literally asking for you to say that, and you did. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. That's what friends are for. I know, right? (laughs) Um, So other things they did, they would bring Jewish refugees to a new hiding place. Uh, They would work in the emergency hospital nearby. They would rescue Jewish children from concentration camps. And they would blow up. Yeah, like that. I didn't know that. Like, that makes me cry. Um, And they would blow up those railway lines. Yeah, they did. So in 1943, they joined forces with another young woman, Hanny Shaft. So Hanny Shaft was a former university student. And we could get into her. She has a whole other story. Uh, She dropped out because she refused. She dropped out of school because she refused to sign a pledge of loyalty to Germany. So the three of them became very, very good friends, uh, and they formed a sabotage and assassination cell. In 1945, three weeks before the war ended, Hanny was killed by the Nazis. So little little fun fact, Hanny's last words were, this is a lore, but I like it, and I'm going to go with it. Her last words were, I'm a better shot after initially only being wounded by her executioner. Boom. Damn, that's gangster. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes, ladies. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're just badass murdering Nazis. They're my favorite. Um, so after the war, the sisters dealt with the trauma of killing people and losing their best friends. So Truce uh, created sculptures and she spoke and wrote about their time and the resistance. I think she became a, an artist. And Freddie coped, quote her, by getting married and having babies. Um, she had three kids. She married, oh my God, you know what? I didn't write it down. I don't think. A guy named Jan. Really nice guy. I don't know much about it. Anyway, they got Yon. married. They were happy. <laughs> did now? Did they stay in their I home think, country? Or I think they did. I think they did. Okay. Um, and you know, it, and it was hard. She trust writes or says in one of her interviews, "We did not feel it suited us. It never suits anybody unless they are real criminals." 
Mm-hmm. Um, later, there was a, um, a the National Henny Shaft Foundation, and Freddie served as a board member on it, and it was established by her sister, Truce. There is a street named after Freddie. Now, both women lived until the age of 92. Like, Truce no. and Freddie. Yeah. And they, there's like, you can see pictures of Freddie, like smiling and happy, like older. Uh, they did not get any recognition until the year 2014. What? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Wow. 2014. Um, because you want to know why? Why? They sidelined them as communists. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's problematic. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's called nuance, people. I mean, yeah, and also right? knowledge. It's like, what I mean, time the, period was this? I mean, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, really? Okay, because okay, because there were Nazis. You know what Nazis did, right? Okay. Do you not know? Because I could tell you. There's a lot of movies, and out it's there all. That would it's tell also. You. It's also like seems like. A lot of like revisionist history and like conflating the yeah. the communists back then with Nazis, and it's like no, 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 no. Oh, no. yeah. You know what? Because because I'm gonna venture to say that the West in general is like capitalist means free, other yeah. words mean evil. It's because of the and, Cold War. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And that's just that. No, it's more, it's more complicated than that. Yep. Um, so they, in 2014, they received the national recognition for their service. To, not the, just national recognition uh, by receiving the, okay. So I'm nervous because I have to say these words. Okay. Don't be nervous. Just sound it out. <sighs> All right. See, this is what I'm saying. She like calms you. Mobilisati. I don't know what I said. I don't know. But it means war mobilization cross. Okay. And there's like a cute picture of her holding the cross, like the award and she's smiling. But like, I know, right? Um, But that is my story. That's, that is what happened. Is she still alive or? No, they died in... Okay, so her sister died in 2018 or 2016 and she died in 2018. Listen, it's not fair because she died one day before her 93rd birthday. Oh, that, that pisses me. Man, off. can you imagine being in your 90s and being like, I killed motherfucking Nazis? I killed those Nazis, right? I killed those assholes. Wow. Gangsta. And they like, you know, they still had. They had trauma from doing it. Yeah, of course. Murdering is bad, but, you know, like. And also being in war is bad. Like they had to survive. Yeah. Um, I think people who've, you know, I mean, for the most part, I mean, in the United States, we have um, we have we have it fairly good. It doesn't mean that people have not experienced trauma, uh, yeah. you know, um, violence. That's always going on, but it's nothing in comparison to living in a war zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like an actual and Nazis you see, walking and around. And you see, you see, you're seeing daily 
Yeah. People getting shot on the street. Like you're yep. seeing that and you're seeing who's doing it. Yep. So the, the brain. And they're in charge. And they're in charge. <laughs> they're in charge. <laughs> the people who are doing it are in charge. And they are the problem. And, and so there's the nothing to do. And I, yeah. that is, they shot some motherfucking Nazis. You got to do what you got to do, ladies. Yes. Thank you such- on behalf of my people. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And also to have such strong convictions at such a young age, but also to go through with it. Because a lot of people do a lot of fucking talking. Listen, and they I ain't about that business. Like, I, I don't know. think I could do it. I just don't have the makeup, especially at that age. Like, I don't think I could. I could. And that's, that's not, I'm not crediting myself for anything. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm just in awe of their ability to be like, I see how that's awful and I'm going to do what I need to do. Yeah, I, I could because, again, I uh, I love a murderess. Uh, yeah. But these aren't murderesses. These are heroes. No, um, these are heroes. But some motherfuckers need to be dealt with. Uh, right? I, listen, mm-hmm. I'm okay with killing baby Hitler. Um, yeah. Some some people need to be pushed over a ledge. I mean, some people need a little poison <laughs> in their dinner. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with some of this uh, because right. the world would be a better place without some of these people on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they want to wreak havoc and, and and spread evil and and yeah. and mayhem and uh yeah in a war zone like if I I will say that what's extraordinary in all seriousness yeah I'm only half joking but <laughs> in all seriousness <laughs> I don't know like, Armageddon happens and I'm going next to you <laughs> I'm following I, no, you you don't listen you don't want to be with me like I I know all these little cute shows y'all like like The Walking Dead Mm-mm. I'm mm. listen <laughs> you get bit. I'm locking you out. Yeah. If I get bit, yeah. I expect you to lock me out. Ain't none of this. No, 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 no. Listen. Yeah, you and Call- Sal are on the same wavelength. He's like, nah, you gotta shoot me in the head. I'll be like, but I love you, baby. And he's yeah, like, yeah, no. See, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like no. I, I, I'm, I'm hardcore. Like because I'm like it's simple. Like why are we complicating things? Like zombies are out <laughs> to bite us. Like, why is this complicated? I don't understand. Like, um, oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm so, it's so, I'm so glad I wasn't born like back in the day. And it was like, a, you know, you see these, uh, these, these historical dramas about monarchs. Like one of my favorite is Elizabeth. And I'm like, I would kill everybody. Like, kill, <laughs> just kill, kill them. Like, yeah. It's not as rigmarole, like, and but I'm also a softy. Like, I love, like, I, I, I believe in protecting the weak, protecting the innocent. You know, you would aggressively so, make a lot of good sense. Like, I'm wishy washy, and that I shouldn't oh, do not. that job. Because some yeah. motherfuckers, listen, I, and this is, and I've, I've grown. I have a lot more empathy now, but it, it is, it is very, very simple. Like, if you are an evil person, you should get your comeuppance. I'm not about yeah. this. Oh, let's pray about it. And oh, you're going to get yours. You're going to go to hell. Mm, I want you to get hell on earth. Okay. You I mean, need to get. I, I am with you on that. Like, as I said, this, these ladies, these young ladies shot, yeah. at, shot the Nazis. And I'm like, yes. 
Boom. And that's what I'm saying. They're saying it in front of their faces. And yeah. I'm impressed with their bravery because they were so young. Yes. They could they couldn't possibly know the the emotional ramifications. Because like, I mean, I kid, but obviously killing someone, even if they deserve it or evil, it's, it's is hard. Yeah. It's gonna be hard and you're gonna need some, you know, some deep, deep therapy and counseling. Yeah, and I think um, they and they and they talk there's also I didn't but they one of them talks about how like there was one she shot and was like suffering on the ground and her instinct was to go help him yeah, because she's a human and she's not a monster, you know, like, right. Right. But it's like, this was the greater good. And they saw on the daily, the horrificness. I mean, if they were rescuing, if they were rescuing children from concentration camps, then they saw concentration camps. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like what was happening. He's bleeding on the ground, but I'm sure he shot some child. Yeah. So for some him. old person, yeah. because he's and I know they're like, oh, he's following orders. Don't give a shit. Yeah. But I don't give a shit. Like if your orders are to round up people, take them from their homes, take all their possessions, send them to work camps and death camps, strip them of all their humanity, uh, take out the gold out of their teeth after you kill them. Mm hmm. Um, you know, I'm okay with killing you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. I'm, you I'm okay die. with that. Uh, yeah. Um, death you know. is death seems right to me. I'm just, so, you know, I might be biased, but I think like I'm biased on the face of humanity. You know what I'm saying? Like based on the fact that humanity, they should die. All right. Yeah, but it's just so impressive that they didn't just uh, look around because it sounds like they would have been kind of fine i can't imagine people who um are living in that society who aren't gung-ho about what's happening are completely fine but they could have been uh it sounds like they could have been fine but they didn't put their head in the sand they were like we're gonna do something about it they they're heroes I, i we should all be talking about them yeah that is so that's amazing and what's her name again freddie freddie overstegen overstegen yes over, it's probably like ob, Oberstiegen, Oberstiegen. I don't, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Something like that. Which is amazing. Completely amazing. Like it's about, you know, this podcast is all about like women choosing their lives. You know, some yeah, choose, yeah. make the wrong decisions and some make, you know, great you decisions go. today. You know, we had one who had, who was, you know, forced into making a decision and, kind of internalized what she had been taught and so unfortunately wasn't yeah. able to find free you know uh actual like full full acceptance of herself and then it sounds like one is like oh no this is wrong i'm gonna do something about Mm-mm. it i'm gonna murder some nazis yeah I lived to be in her 90s yes that's such a beautiful story that's a beautiful such story. an interesting day i know right right I'm like, and these motherfuckers around here, like, I can't wear a mask. <laughs> and these, and these teenagers are killing fucking Nazis. And the people yeah. are like, oh, I don't want to put on, I don't want to get a, a, a vaccine because <laughs> I want to cough all over you. Is your mask choking you? Is it really choking you? Okay. All right. You know, That's I saw fine. an article saying that people, good looking people are the ones who want to not wear a mask. I'm like, no, no that that's is not, not right. True. Not true. No. Uh-uh. A hundred percent a lie. I have so much proof. So much proof. 
Anyways, most of the motherfuckers <laughs> I hear, I see like demanding that they talk, trying to talk all in your face are the mm-hmm. ones who really should cover up their their faces. They and really those are, should. Those are the people that get so close to you that you know how ugly they truly are. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, there's no question. Anyways, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, guys, that wraps it up. <laughs> For another episode of Notorious Women Podcast, uh, guys, remember to subscribe, like, and share our uh, podcast with yeah, anyone yes. you think who might like this. Also, our Patreon is back up. So Our Patreon is up. Our Patreon yes. is up. I wrote a song about it. That was the song. I hope that you liked a- it. <laughs> So if you guys want to support this show, uh, you want to donate, you can do it for as little as $2 a month. Uh, we have different tiers. So just go to patreon.com and search for Notorious Women. And that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Notorious Women. You may have to just go in and put in like do a search. But yeah, just it's go to there. Patreon. We're there. We're cute. And okay. we'd love to have, uh, if you want to support us, it will give you, it'll break down like what you get for different tiers and we'll have like extra content behind the scenes. And, you know, it's some fun. of which will be like, uh, we do, we usually chit chat a little bit before we start recording. Yeah. So you'll like get always. access to that and just extra stuff. Uh, we, we'll talk about like uh, TV shows we're watching or like just kind of, you know. Life. Do our little spiel, but uh, rant, but yeah, etc. Exactly, Miriam. Do you want to tell them where they can also find I, us? On yes, socials? because we're on IG, Notorious Women Podcast. Please come, please play. We have so many conversations that sometimes I need your help, right? Because I feel yeah. like if you're listening to this podcast, you could be helpful. They're these yeah. men who see these reels and think that I need their opinion. All right. Um, and then uh, Gmail is notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. That's notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. Um, send us thoughts, ideas. We love to hear yeah. from you. Yes. All right, guys. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.